Welcome to episode 23 of the Jet Centric Podcast. My name is Ryan, and today we are joined by Murat Atesh of The Athletic. You can find him on Twitter at WPGMurat. And also joining us was Katie Hamilton. You can find her at Botany and Vodka. We talked about the past, present, and future of the Winnipeg Jets and just had a great time. So enjoy the episode. Thanks for listening. Hello, Jets fans, and welcome back to another episode of the Jet-Centric Podcast. Today, we are joined by Murat Atesh, writer for TheAthletic.com, and Katie Hamilton of Twitter.com. Thank you guys for joining me today. Thanks for having me, us. (laughs) (laughs) So, uh, let's get right at it. Let's just kind of go over what you guys have thought so far of the season. Um... Right now, we are sitting third in the Central Division, sitting 11-5-1. Murat, what have you thought so far of the season? Um, I think for me personally, it's been a bit of a letdown in quality from the season that preceded it. And that's just because they were good at in, essentially in, in all three dimensions, five on five, power play, the penalty kill even, um, despite my systemic complaints, was doing well uh, too. But so far this season, I feel like the power play is really what's keeping a team that's been very middling uh, at five on five in in the throes of things. And the power play keeps scoring. It keeps dominating. And I think it's papering over some problems that maybe we didn't see uh, towards the end of last season. Would you say that our record so far might be indicative of the teams that we're playing? Um. Certainly possible. I haven't done too much strength of schedule work so far this year, but I mean, that's one of the reasons why before you get to a sample of a solid 20 games, coursey wise, you're, you're usually um, dealing with a whole lot of noise. So I, I'm definitely willing to entertain that. But um, for me, when I look at the schedule that they've played so far, I just think of how awkward it would have been in the two weeks leading up to the Finland trip, where I think it was 14 games in, in oh, sorry, pardon me, eight games in 14 calendar days or something to that effect. And just the density of that, um, it's like a little asterisk for me or a little footnote or, or maybe a little mini excuse for some of the five-on-five trouble. Yeah, and maybe now that they've had this break, they played, what, two games in almost two weeks um, in, in Finland, had a big break. And now that they're back, they, they've won a couple. And now they're going into Buffalo um, tomorrow night. And if they can keep this thing rolling, I, I can see a little bit of progression in their game where they're starting to get a bit, uh, a bit more five-on-five five, um, solidity to their game. They, they look a lot better. Uh, maybe not the first period last night, but Katie, what do you think of that? Yeah, in general, I would agree with that. Um, the team has kind of been slowly on the uptick, which is – it is kind of a letdown from last year, you know, where they were pretty good for – you know, for the first little bit of the season, you know, the first couple of weeks notwithstanding, um, we're starting to see, like, things like the expected goal differential kind of tick above the 50% mark. And I think um, th- that's these are encouraging signs. But the production five-on-five five hasn't really followed. Um, the example that you gave the first period of um, the last game versus Washington, they were actually, like um, – you know, they didn't, they only had, what was it, two shots in the first period of that game? 
Yeah, and the first one, yeah. 12 minutes in, was what, a ricochet from center ice? Yeah, but believe it or not, like, the shot attempts were fairly even. The Jets actually led them 52 to 48%. So um, I think that's just kind of like a microcosm of, you know, why you shouldn't look too closely at shots on goal per se to kind of judge which team is controlling the flow of play. I, you know, I'm not actually super versed in fancy stats, but as it like for a non fancy stat shot attempts and expected goals kind of give me a better idea, you know, just descriptively of what kind of has happened in a game versus just shots on goal. So, you know, it was probably less bad then that shot clock would allow you to believe. Well, we, we compare the two seasons a lot. I know a lot of people are saying we're not as good as last season, and the on-ice play may not be, but we're actually at 23 points through 17 games, which is even with last year. We were 10-4-3 at this point last season, now 11-5-1, so fairly similar, but I think the strength of schedule has changed, and the, and the Jets started off really slow with uh, losing their first two last year. So, again, I think we do need to get a few more games out of the way before we can see what this team has. Um, Like Murat was saying, the schedule was kind of odd and hard to get a good grasp on what's happening. But moving forward, these next few are going to be a big teller on what this team has to offer. Now, moving ahead, I want to talk about an interesting move that this team made on... Sunday, I believe. You guys touched on it on the post-game show, but I'd like to hear uh, what Marat thinks of the Logan Shaw edition. I know he cleared waivers, went down to the AHL. He's more of a depth forward. But if he were to get called up, what does he bring in terms of his previous NHL experience? Well, he brings <laughs> he brings NHL experience. That's that's for sure. And the fact that um, he's he's played NHL games in, in a couple of different organizations already. Um, as with a lot of guys who end up making it to the NHL in sort of bottom of the roster, end of the roster roles, uh, he actually did score as a junior player, uh, roughly a point per game in the queue through several seasons there. Um, he's been able to put up like a half a point per game in the AHL and had a big night um, actually connecting with Christian Veselainen uh, a couple of times yesterday or, or two nights ago. I, I've already forgotten what day of the week it is. Um, and so the start is is good. Um, it's, he's one more guy who can sort of contribute for sure at the AHL level. Um, I think Winnipeg's icing, it's, uh, you know, it's best 12 NHL forwards right now. And I'd be surprised if Logan Shaw ended up taking time from anyone. And I, I think it would be a mistake if he began to start taking time from a, from a Patan or a Roslovic or any of those guys who are seeing just a couple of minutes a night right now. Yeah, I, I don't think he's he's going to be slotting into the lineup and replacing anybody. But, Katie, do you think it would be fair to say that maybe he's next in line after, um, after Brennan Lemieux and before Patan? Or not before Patan, but after those two? If you asked me even earlier this morning, um, I would I would have said no. But now that Veselainen has kind of opted to go back to Finland, I I kind of wonder about that, and it scares me a little bit. Um, Logan Shaw, again, as Marat mentioned, is a guy who has proven himself in the lower leagues. He is an effective AHLer, but he's never really showed much in the NHL. Like um, 
I so I would I would really hope not. But then again, um, I I think you know there's kind of a larger issue here. The Jets had Danawan waivers and kind of lost them for nothing, and now Veselainen has opted to return to Europe. So the forward depth, which you know I think at the beginning of the season everyone thought that was a major strength for the Jets, is not not so much now. Um, Personally, I, I think Logan Shaw's a known quantity, so you'd kind of want to give an opportunity to maybe somebody that you don't know um, that much about. Uh, CJ Cease, for example, I, I wouldn't mind seeing. Uh, it, it's a little alarming that, you know, that's our first call-up option, but at the same time, it, you know, kind of getting back to what we were talking about last podcast, it would be good to, you know, see somebody who, you know, worst-case scenario might be bad rather than seeing somebody who we know is bad. The old quantity versus... Sorry, that reminds me an awful lot of Ben Chirot versus Sami Niku right now as well. I think that's a good point. Yeah, and I I don't buy into a whole lot to the experience thing. I know when it came to Niku, Maurice was saying, well, we want a guy who has experience. Well, how are you going to get that experience? Um. I guess an injury or a suspension, which we almost saw today. Thankfully, just a fine to Josh Morrissey, but um, I don't want to get too far away from that topic, but we were talking about the vessel line and Marat, what do you think of his decision? Do you think that has anything to do with him being snubbed to Finland? Or do you think because this was in his, a clause in his contract to go back, that it was always uh, a big possibility and that's, that's it. Um, I think it was always a possibility, and I want to be careful with my level of speculation on it, too. I mean, the reports out of Finland from a journalist that that I know a little bit um, seem reputable, but I haven't confirmed myself, and, and the, the talk is uh, is about leaving in next week is, is the most up-to-date that I have. Um, so it was something that I think that a lot of us would have been prepared for at the beginning of the year. The, the mere fact that he negotiated the... Um, the out clause to Europe at all make makes sense. And uh, this was always a possibility. So I'm not ready to say it was because of the the snub with respect to Finland. I don't think Veselainen blew the doors off, despite the fact that I think he has a high ceiling and a higher ceiling than anybody on the fourth line right now. Um, I, I think that where he's at is, is justified and he didn't sulk in terms of performance in the AHL either. So he went and he's, uh, he's put up reasonably good offense there too. So um, I'm a bit hesitant to say that it's, it's directly Finland related long-term though. um, The biggest thing with Veselainen for me has always been the efficiency of his entry-level contract um, as, as a Winnipeg jet, as you know, your Wheeler's play falls off, Little's play falls off, uh, Line gets expensive, Connor gets expensive, and all of a sudden there's more and more cap issues. So Veselainen heading to Finland right now, not such a bad thing. Um, if, if that is what comes to happen, he's going to continue to play, ideally get good minutes, and one more year bought in terms of uh, how efficient his contract's going to be moving forward. I don't mind it at all. That's a very good point because now you know you're not going to lose – a year off his entry level contract because there's very very slim chance that he comes back if he can I'm actually not sure of the rules on that if he can come back once he's gone this season but uh, I never thought of it like that that you prolong this entry level contract and then when you start seeing these aging guys and, and more expensive guys needing contracts 
then you can slot in a guy like this who's going to be cheaper. I would also wonder if um, his rights being traded from I can't I can't remember the uh, the KHL team in Russia that held his rights, but they were just like today traded to um, y- Jokerit, I believe, which is the yeah. only um, yeah the only Finnish team in the AHL or the sorry KHL. So I wonder if that has something to do with it. Like now he can actually. Um, play at home in a league where, you know, the KHL is the second best hockey league in the world and he's going to get paid there. So um, that's a little bit more enticing than going back to Finland to play in the Liga, for example. Totally agree. Uh, You have to put yourself in his shoes, go back home, um, play for money instead of just being a a depth guy. Mm. If I was in his shoes, I'd be doing that too, regardless of the Finland situation a week ago or two weeks ago. So, um, yeah, well, let's, uh, let's talk about another forward who's kind of wiggled his way in, finally. Uh, much of the delight of a lot of Twitter users, a lot of Jets fans. Nick Patan has a few games under his belt now. Looks great out there. Uh, he's. I know today he was skating on a line with uh, Roslovic and Perot on that fourth line. What, Murat, what does his small sample size suggest he's doing to help or hurt this team? Um, you know what? I'm going to defer to the eye test on this one as opposed to, uh, as opposed to numbers strictly because he's, he's played so little. Um, but, you know, I think it started for me with that saucer pass that was just so gorgeously weighted, just a couple of feet in the air for Andrew Kopp to skate onto and, and Kopp broke in uh, alone, I guess this was New Jersey um, and, and didn't quite finish the job on it. Um, it was just a symbol. It was emblematic of what Patan does. Excellent at those outside in passes from the perimeter to the middle. Um, you know, I don't think he's going to be driving and controlling play the way that, you know, a Matthew Perot that he could be playing alongside with a little bit here can um, but obviously his offensive talent is at an NHL level. Um, anytime you put him together with skill, good things happen. Um, so my biggest thing with the fourth line right now, and that includes Patan and Roslovic too, is that Winnipeg's depth is real in my mind, and it is being trimmed away. Katie made an excellent point, losing Armia, losing Dano, and, and there, there's it's being chopped off. But still, they're more than 12 forwards deep, and you can trust a Nick Patan in my mind, and you can trust a Jack Roslovic, and I think that they've earned – more minutes, and I think it would be beneficial for the Jets to give them that. Well, the guy in junior was a pure sniper playmaker. You watch his highlights from the World Juniors, and you know this kid has talent, and you see flashes of it in his first few games here. He gets a hold of that puck, and he's, he's very great with his hands. He finds some open space, and he can rip that puck. Um, I don't believe he has a goal yet. Someone may correct me on that. No, but he hasn't put up any points yet. But, I mean, in the very limited sample size, he's been doing super good. Like, um, I mean, obviously sample size alert, but I, I just wanted to say um, right now he is actually leading the team in expected goals um, with a very, very nice 69%. So good for him there. And nice. I actually even forgot that Armia existed before you brought that up, Murat. Uh, that's actually... It's kind of sad that I forgot, but also a testament to how deep the Jets used to be at forward. 
Yeah, they, they went from a place in my mind of where their depth was a luxury and they could sort of do an Armia and Mason sort of cap dump situation to the point where um, now they're running out of resources in my mind. And I think that they're deep to the point of, you know, their NHL forward roster and maybe a couple of guys. And, you know, Veselainen is, is gone. That takes a little bit of that top end talent away from who they could backfill with. But now they're at the point where their their forward depth is still real at the NHL level. Um, but the luxury is gone. I don't think they can sort of get away with those types of deals anymore uh, and still get away like on the ice, essentially unscathed. That's my opinion. We talk about maybe the thinning talent on the, the forwards, but look at the blue line right now. That's kind of my next topic here is the, the defense scares me right now, and it's not just who's in the lineup. It's who is going to come in if anything happens to those guys, other than Sammy Niku, because obviously I have a love for Sammy, as do a lot of players. Who is in the system right now that you could see coming up and filling any of those voids? Because I don't see if Truba doesn't resign, which that's still up in the air. Tyler Myers could very well be done at the end of the season because he wants too much money. What is what's left for for us on defense? Who are you throwing that <laughs> one to? Good. That's not <laughs> silence. That's a bit of fear, I maybe. Need to refill my wine. Um. <laughs> oh no. Um, you know, I'll 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 I can't answer that question without saying at least a couple of nice things about Sami Niku and I know that you sort of accepted him from the from the rest of the question sort of saying who, who comes in after um, but Sami Niku's offensive company in terms of his age relative to the leagues that he's played in um, is it's extremely um, it, he, he keeps extremely good company we saw Sami Vatanen uh, just the other day here in Winnipeg who was one of his offensive comparables at, at, at that time Tori Krug is in that same boat um, and at the Athletic we had a just a beginning of se- season awards predictions and one of them was breakout player in the NHL um, I because of Sammy Niku research, pulled out the name Eric Gustafson, one of the players who is almost identical to Sammy Niku's points per game, AHL, various different metrics that I was looking at as a guy that had killed it at, at lower levels. And I got a collective who? Um, but he's up to seven points in 19 games in the NHL right now for Chicago. And I think that it's another symptom of, of Niku being a bit underrated or at least... Um, I, I think it's a, it's a good sign for him when, when he eventually does make that leap um, behind him. Now I'll just d- start dropping names. I know Corey Pronman is a huge fan of Dylan Sandberg. Um, I like Luke Green's offensive numbers. If he can put together some healthy stretches of play, I, he has a decent future ahead of him. Um, I was impressed with Logan Stanley in one specific spot, and that was the low slot in, in training camp. Um, I don't know how the rest of it's going to shake out for him, but that's a long-term project. And when you start thinking about it, just like you said, not to give too many words to it, but that strength that is Winnipeg's defense right now, or especially at the right side, um, it might evaporate in an awful hurry. And then the guy that, like, I think I've heard on radio shows, Tucker Pullman being talked about as a Jacob Truba replacement. Tucker Pullman is older than Jacob Truba. I don't understand, <laughs> like, um, you know, he's new on the scene. And, you know, he certainly, I'm sure, has much to learn yet. But I, I just, I don't. I don't see long-term optimism. I see I see long-term averageism on the on the Jets defense, and that's uh, 
from from now trying to project is is that any worse than what it is now because i don't see them being much better than average at the moment say tucker pullman is a replacement for truba um i don't see buff going away anytime soon Sherrod looks like he's sticking around and you have Moro Myers is that where you bring in a Logan Stanley and uh, you know Luke Green is that going to round out your six right there I know this is a lot of speculation for in the future but going back to Luke Green he hasn't played a lot I think he's sitting in the press box right now with the moose is he not Katie um, well, yeah, he was. He's in now because uh, Sammy Miku got called up. But prior to the Sammy Miku call up, he was only in the starting lineup for two games. And I, for a while, because I don't really follow the Moose that closely. Sadly, I don't get out to many games. But um, I kind of thought that was because he was sent to the ECHL. And then I looked it up and it was my mistake. He was actually in the press box the whole time, which blows my mind a little bit. But, you know, at least... Never want to see a guy injured, obviously, with Kulikov. But at least, you know, the chain reaction is that Green is getting some good playing time in with the Moose. Now I'm embarrassed because I forgot Kulikov existed. Yeah. <laughs> at, at the same time, though. I wish I could forget that contract existed. <laughs> well, at the, at the same time, though, are, is he going to be a solution for this team moving forward? He, he played a handful of games a season. He hasn't looked the greatest. Again, that's eye test. You guys can bring the numbers. But he he's an injury bug right now. And who knows? Like this time it's what, a shoulder or collarbone. He's had a couple back injuries. Those are really concerning injuries. You know, he obviously hasn't played in many games. Um, I kind of thought it was weird that he was slotting in and out of the lineup, rotating in and out with um, Joe Morrow to begin the season before he had the shoulder injury. But um, And he didn't really look great, according to the eye test. And then I looked up the numbers today, and uh, he has been the Jets' worst player. Not just defenseman, but worst player in terms of... Um, shot attempt differential and expected goal differential, which kind of shocked me a little bit. But yeah, I definitely, I, I wouldn't be putting my stock in Kulikov um, significantly helping the defense improve once he comes back from injury. I think they have to look for solutions elsewhere. I agree with that being shocking because normally with a defenseman, if you don't notice them, that's a good thing. And I didn't notice Kulikov doing anything that concerned you watching the game. But when you look at the stats, yeah, he, he hasn't been the greatest. But I again I defer to the eye test and he hasn't been he hasn't been awful. But I'm not gonna argue the stats either. Well, I know you guys will jump all over me. <laughs> I like I said, sample size warning, he hasn't played very many games and then there's quality of teammates too. Like he he's played most of his time with um Tyler Myers on the third pair. So I would wager a very large amount of money that if he played, for example, with Bufflin for that amount of time, his numbers would be better. That said, you know, it's just not an encouraging sign. Yeah, a year ago, or a little bit less than a year ago, we had most of December last season with Dustin Bufflin and Toby Enstrom both injured. And like at that time, the consternation was, okay, what's going to happen if you push Tyler Myers and Dmitry Kulikov into a top four role? And it turns out that they swam. They didn't sink. Their possession numbers were well above 50%. Their goal totals or their goal differentials were fine. Um, 
they succeeded in a way that they absolutely did not in limited minutes to start this season. And watching it camp to see the way that Kulikov was rotated in and out, it really seemed, despite the lack of a non-contact jersey, that Paul Maurice was easing him back in as much as possible. And I have nothing to go by on that other than my own read or perception of what was going on there. I, I just, I never got the sense that Kulikov was 100% or um, was maybe where he wanted to be in terms of his camp fitness and physical shape or, um, or, or with respect to the injury. I, I really can't put two and two to, together with that one. I wasn't sure with the handling there because he had been successful with Myers before. All to say, when he did get in, I honestly, my eyes said that he, he really had a rough go of it as well. I, I, um, I counted a lot of missed coverages for for that short time. And, you know, if, if you're missing your coverage on your side of the ice, especially with the, with rotating forwards, uh, Tyler Myers is usually not going to be the one that comes in and saves you. So I, I, I'm not surprised that his numbers are as bad as they are, even in that sample size. You were mentioning that Myers came in, in and replaced um, Buffer Enstrom last season when they were injured on that second pairing. And, and he held his own. He didn't look bad. What What's the big difference between that and this year where sometimes he has looked completely lost? Especially, I don't know if you saw that video. Or no, you did see it last night because you asked Maurice about it. Uh, I thought I asked uh, Maurice about it. I made a mistake. I sort of mixed two clips up and I asked Maurice about the goal against instead of, the, instead of just that one particular play. Um, so yeah, I did see the play and it was a good, it was a terrific example and, and I'll jump on it again too, because um, I, I think that Tyler Myers' game is best when he keeps it simple and he can sort of just defer to his instincts. Um, and I think that perhaps there's something to be said about that weird left side experiment that was just so difficult for him. Um, and I think the more complex the read, the more movement and in zone layers and things like this, he gets lost. I don't think he got off on the right foot this season. And um, the quality of even his partner hasn't been enough to bail him out either. So I think that what we're seeing is probably the worst of Tyler Myers in terms of even strength of defense right now. And there's, there hasn't been much offense either. Um, I think his ceiling is slightly higher than this because he has been part of capable third pairs in the NHL. Um, and I just, I just can't make sense of it. And I mean, that read that video that's going along where um, he just completely abandons that center lane in the middle of the ice. I, I just, I watch it over and over again with confusion in my eyes and, and I just, I can't, I can't make sense of it, and I wish that I had gotten that right and I had asked the right question about that one. And if that happens once, that's okay. But I think that happened against New Jersey as well, where he let a guy just walk in. He just stepped right out of the way to cover a guy who is below the goal line in the corner almost. He stepped away from the puck carrier to watch that guy. <laughs> and that's just another example of why that's a bit concerning. Do you think maybe he's pushing the envelope a bit, trying too hard because of the contract year? Tough to... No, Katie, go ahead. Pardon me. Go ahead. (laughs) No, I was just going to say, that's that's really hard to say. I do know that, you know... um, that, that pairing, the Myers Morrow pairing, the guy he spent most of his time with, they they've been really, really bad. And I think, you know, this is the stats show that they've been bad. And you know, for to kind of come up for an explanation for, for why it hasn't been working, they just seem like two players who share 
they share the same strengths and weaknesses. Like they both, they both can be on occasion offensively dynamic, like in, um, in the opposing zone, but they both kind of suffer from lapses in their own zone that seem like, you know, more to do with the ability to process the game at speed versus kind of any physical limitations that they may have. So it's kind of like, I, I truly believe that the, the reason that um, Buff and Toby were such a successful pairing for so many years, like almost a decade, they really kind of offset each other's weaknesses. Um, Toby Enstrom, I, you know, severe, was a severely underrated defensive player. And back when Buff was kind of counted on to give a, um, bring a lot of offense to the team, he would cover for him in those situations and it wouldn't turn out very badly. But this is sort of the opposite situation. And I, I kind of wonder if that's just not an optimal combo. So, you know, in addition to this being a bad year for Myers in general, personally, he's also not really in the best situation in terms of who he's playing with, if that makes any sense. Yeah, 100% with you on the fact that it's not necessarily uh, physical limitation so much as processing the game. 100% perfect perfectly said i just wanted to add that like uh, the pairing itself um has been on the ice for five goals four nine goals against so far this season um but if you just want to isolate myers in 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 all situations by himself he's plus seven minus 15 and again that's just five on five we're ignoring uh shorties and empty nets and all that garbage as you should (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So I, I sent you guys a chart uh, a few days ago. I believe it was from Charting Hockey that, and again, I don't know the fancy numbers, but it was showing some stats show that our defensive numbers are one of the worst in the league. Why? What does this team need to do? Because I think we can agree that this is the biggest weakness on the team. If they want to be successful like they were last year and go and pick up a cup at the end of June this year or next year. What does this team have to do to fix that? Do they have to switch up their pairings? Do they have to go out and get a guy? Murat, what do you, what do you think? Uh, I think the biggest hole on the team has been the same from, from July to now. And that's the, the second pairing left defenseman. Um, and one of the things that if it, it might be unfair to compare the Jets to the playoff iteration of themselves, but obviously that's the level that they need to get to if they're going to be competing for that Stanley Cup. The forecheck was absolutely clockwork perfect in terms of defensemen at the boards, pinching aggressively, making the right read about a forward coming back to cover for them. That is almost non-existent on that left side, and Josh Morrissey is the only one who's doing that effectively right now. Um, and that changes a lot in terms of the rest of the uh, in terms of the rest of the play. Anything for me that moves a puck across a blue line for or against you is one of the bigger moments of the game, and that's something that Winnipeg has been um, a little bit worse or a lot worse on that left side. And in their own zone, um, now bigger minutes are going to guys that don't really track and rotate and and play, you know, and read different offenses as well as a Toby Enstrom, Dustin Bufflin pairing did. And I'm with Katie when she says that Enstrom was a 
tremendously underrated player defensively. Uh, that that hat that Ben Sherratt wears is a lovely tribute, and you know I'm sure the, the mutual respect there is great. But um, Sherratt's a, a put your face into the glass, chip it off the glass and out sort of defenseman, whereas Enstrom and Bufflin were able to sort of move the puck around quite a bit and break out really cleanly. Um, all to say to me that the the biggest weakness is right there. It's exploitable by the top end teams in the league. And it's either going to be a crazy emergence by Sami Niku or it's going to be an outside of the team um, addition because despite his game winning goal and despite some of the numbers that flatter him so far, I don't think Ben Sherrod is that answer going forward, nor do I think is Joe Morrow or a healthy Dmitry Kulikov. Yeah, I absolutely agree. Um, I think that, you know, I'd also like to add there's, Sherrod has looked fairly decent this year, you know, as opposed to previous years. But I really believe that's mostly to do with who he's playing with. Like he's he's playing with Bufflin, and Buff has the ability to elevate whoever he plays with. Um, that that pairing has actually been the Jets' best pairing um, in terms of most basic metrics. So, but I think you know there was a recent article that kind of. Um, you know, praise Sherratt for becoming a legitimate top four pairing D-man. And I think that kind of misses the point because we have many years of both data and eye tests to to kind of say that, you know, Sherratt and Klitsum and all these kind of um, depth defensemen play really well when they're up with Buff. And then when they're not with Buff, they do not play so well. It, it's a really stark dichotomy. And... I, I think, you know, there's enough information there to say that's not a coincidence, it's a trend. So I, I would kind of, something that I would like to see, if, if this pairing is doing so well with Sherratt on it, what could it, what could it do with a legitimately good second pairing guy, say like a Jake Muzzin? I, I'm kind of curious to see what would happen. Would it be, you know, similar to what we saw last year with Buff and Toby? Ooh, that's a nice that's a nice thought actually. Jake Muzzin is, is a sort of partnership there. Well, Muzzin's with LA right now, am I correct? They're kind of having yep. a fire sale, aren't they? Or and I was like just going to say that. <laughs> I was just going to say that verbatim. I think they're having a fire sale when you when you start getting rid of uh, Tanner Pearson for Carl Hagelin. Maybe they're going to start blowing it up. Maybe you can get a guy like that cheap. The fact that Pittsburgh just had to give up Hagelin um, and got Tanner Pearson. It's pretty impressive. And if and if LA is selling, I've been looking at that a lot. The the Muzzin thing, and you know maybe that's something that this team needs. I don't know if he slots in right away or if he goes on the third pairing, but I think they need something, and they need they need to do it um, before the trade deadline, obviously, because this this year you have to make a run. Yeah, I, I think that one of the, the underrated storylines is the amount of pressure that the organization likely feels to make this year a particularly big year. Um, I think that's part of why you extend Wheeler too soon. I, I think it's um, part of some of the veteran-heavy decisions that have been made so far, and maybe even part of the lackluster start. I don't know. That's purely based on sort of some of the narratives in the room, which might not actually have validity on the ice. Um, I, I think that the organization from head to toe realizes that this is kind of 
uh, it's a major year just in terms of, uh, you know, Wheeler still being a productive player and some of these young guys like Connor and Liney not being as expensive yet. So it's my estimation that they will try to patch that particular spot. Um, and, but I just, I was so impressed by the Stastny rabbit out of a hat last season. I don't know how, I don't know that just because that happened the one time you can count on it repeating itself. And that might be the sort of situation specifically at left defense that you kind of need them or, or if you're supporting them as a fan, want them to, to be able to find, uh, to make that playoff push. Well, that was a lot of words, but I hope that point came out. Yeah. <laughs> oh, it did. It did, it did perfectly. And, and I think the Stastny thing is a good point that they don't necessarily need to burn down the farm to get something that makes this team great again. I'm going to make that into a red hat, by the way. <laughs> um, <laughs> they're one or two pieces away from matching last year and getting deep into the playoffs. And I think they can go out and get a good defenseman without, without giving up too much from a team who's willing to burn it down. I think they're just going to have to kind of hang this one out a bit, wait until the trade deadline comes up and see what's out there. See what you need at that point, because again, we're still early. What are we 17 games in? So not even a quarter of the way. I think they can improve on this team a lot without, without burning it down, but they do have to do something because like you said, there's some big contracts out there that are going to hurt this team in the next few years and some big players are going to have to move. Yeah, I agree. I, I would be kind of hesitant to pull the trigger on something very major right now, simply because um, aside from the power play, this team really hasn't shown very much, but if they find themselves in a very competitive position, if, and if they improve organically, say by putting Sammy Miku in or by optimizing the forward lines, then, you know, may, maybe you have a situation not quite as good as last year, but something like last year where you feel like you have a team that's right at the edge and you can just get that one little piece to put you over the edge. And then I would endorse a move like that. But, you know, if the opposite is true and if they start to, you know, kind of fall backwards a little bit and they they end up kind of being a, one of those, like, you know, middling lottery teams, I'm, I'm not really sure that it's worth it to make that kind of trade, especially, like, all those big moves usually in, usually involve moving a first-round pick. And if there's anything the Jets organization needs right now, it's to replenish the cupboards with high-end talent. I don't think this team is going to be a, a middle-of-the-pack team. I don't think they're going to be out of the running for tops of the central. Really? Uh, yeah. Well, they're, what, right now, they, are, they have 17 games played. Nashville and Minnesota have 18. Say we win our next one. We're two points out of first in the central and one point ahead of third. So even when they have started out slow, they have kept pace with some of these heavy hitters, which we are a heavy hitter, but we've kept pace with them. I, in, but they're getting stronger game by game. I'm kind of with you there, Ryan. Yeah, I, I, I see the, the same sort of progression. My eyes are telling me that they're, they're inch by inch improving. 
Um, it was at about this time last year that Tanov, Lowry, and Kopp became a thing, and and Perot returned from from injury and sort of uh, rounded the team out in the top form. So we've sort of seen, um, mind you, all those players are playing right now, so that sort of deflates the argument. But we've seen on the ice recently in the last couple of weeks, and I think it almost began, um, I want to say it began in Finland, um, where the on-ice product has progressively gotten better. And I think that, like, if, you know, if I'm betting on the, the quality of players on the roster to sort of bring their five-on-five from exactly mid-pack to, to something approaching the top ten, um, you know, the power play might not run first or second all season long, but if it's close to that, um, I think the pieces are there for the Jets to easily be a top ten team. And I remember saying that in September, top ten, top ten, maybe top five, um, um, and I was running them in fifth and, and drew a lot of criticism because uh, I guess they were predicted Stanley Cup champions by an awful lot of media. <laughs> um, but well, I now think, you look really smart. Well, hopefully they keep making me look smart. But I, I just mean to say that I think that between five and ten is a very good team and, and, and should be celebrated as, as big as some of those Achilles heels, Achilles heels as um, might seem. <laughs> so you, you mentioned that last year around this time we were starting to add pieces to round up uh, round out the lineup do you think maybe this year's equivalent is maybe getting the lines figured out and that's what's rounding out this lineup is maybe not necessarily different players but we're starting to see different line combinations Patan does slot in but you're seeing more chemistry I think with the juggling of the lines which we asked for, for through the first few games yeah, for me personally, sorry, I'll be short. I no, no, not... go ahead. <laughs> um, for me, I think the the biggest thing is that Kyle Connor looks like he can play without Shifley and Wheeler. Uh, I've been impressed by that. And then the the biggest concern right now is to get Patrick Liney rolling at even strength because he's absolutely not. And uh, and I think that's going to be a sign of chemistry when you know the twenty year old developing star finds a five on five game because that's just not right there or not not there right now. Pardon me. I saw something that he hasn't scored a five on five goal since game two or three against Minnesota. Twenty six games. Uh, is that concerning or is he still young enough and are you seeing enough promise out of him that you think he can turn it around? Throw it to Katie? No, pardon me. Um, My opinion is that um, he's he's fine. He's he's fine. He's 20 years old and just turned it almost. Um, and power plays are going to forever be a thing that count in the NHL, and those goals are going to count the same. Uh, he's still going to put up big goal totals. They're going to help the team win games. But I think that the uh, the Jets, if they're going to get value out of him long term, he's going to need to become a driver of some kind, or at least uh, at least saw things off at five on five. Uh, I think he's on the road there. We shouldn't be overly harsh because he's a couple years into his career because he is 20 um, and and that he might never dominate at five on five. But I, I think he's still a very good player to be excited about. Yes, is it kind of... having a few technical difficulties. Um, I totally agree. I think I think with Liney and a few of the other heavy hitters on the team, it's it's almost just a matter of time till their shooting percentage gets, you know, you know, gets back to normal a little bit. They, Liney has been producing chances um, against five on five. Um, last year, for example, he was shooting nine point five five on five, and this year he's shooting four point six, and that's 
a big slide back and you would kind of you, you really expect that to go up so it's it's almost just some bad luck and you know eventually you'd expect them to start going in going in again and I think you know the other the other part of the line a puzzle is finding finding a line on which he can be productive um, one thing I noticed when I was looking at the team's performance in the uh, past month is that even though like as the team as a whole started to do better in terms of shot metrics um, in the month of November, the Lowry, Tanev, Lane line was did not do well. They were far below uh, 50% at 43% shot attempt uh, differentials. So I think that's a pretty strong sign that 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 combination just doesn't really have any chemistry. And I think that, yeah, a major challenge is going to be finding kind of who, what, especially which center fits with line A in this lineup. Do you think, do you think Chevy's doing the happy dance right now? Thinking he might not have to pay this guy as much when it comes to summertime? Oh, maybe a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sure he'd be doing a much happier dance if, you know, Alane started scoring and the Jets started winning games more convincingly, though. That is a great point. That is that is a quote of the night. <laughs> yeah. All right. I'm going to move on to some questions from the listeners. We got some questions submitted for you, Marat. Bring them on. Uh, the first one's from Mike O'Dowd. He says, ask Murat if he has used the Finnish swear word I taught him in Finland or with Patrick Laine. Also, update on how Veselainen is performing. I think we covered that last part, but the swear part. Yeah, so Mike O'Dowd was a very enthusiastic Jess fan, I think from California, who met myself and a photographer uh, in Helsinki as soon as we arrived and gave us sort of the his view of Finns from sort of a North American lens. Um, and the answer to his question about the swear word is that I did, in fact, demonstrate that I knew that word to some Finns later on in that trip. And it was impressive to them that somehow I'd learned it, but I have yet to use it with Patrick and I don't think it's going to come out anytime soon in any honest. <laughs> Did someone upset you in Finland and you turned around and, and barked this word at them or were you just showing off? I was just showing off like, Oh, hi, I can say hello. I can say thank you. And I can say this awful thing. <laughs> it wasn't in a, in a back alley in Helsinki at three in the morning after a game one. <laughs> no, I promise you it was not. I survived the trip. <laughs> Excellent. Um, second question comes from, I'm going to butcher this. <laughs> it's Mal Sined. We'll go with that. Uh, he says, how long does he think Lani? Oh, no. That question is out of date. He said, how long does he think uh, Lani will stay on a Lowry 10 of one if he doesn't score at even strength? Well, but it's only out of date by like two periods. (laughs) I should have screened these better, okay? (laughs) Katie, I'll run these through you next time, okay? You can make sure that they're not uh, making me look silly right now. Um, Three questions from Menno Knight 427. I guess that's a play on Mennonite. I'm thinking. Yeah, uh, it's Manitoba. Ty- so I'm shocked. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, we shouldn't be surprised. That's the whole like bottom twenty percent of the province. But, oh, uh, 
He maybe bottom ten percent, but uh, he asked, uh, "Is Tyler Myers above replacement? Considering his terrible defensive performance here, I'm not sure he still is. I know we've talked about Myers, but there's so many different definitions of replacement depending on uh, which model is calculating it. I do think that Tyler Myers is above replacement, but maybe a bit overrated because of the offensive game." Uh, especially that he's gotten power play time and has put up some numbers over the course of his career. I think he's a completely capable contributor on a third pairing sort of role, but the the offensive numbers have hidden some things, maybe from a lot of folks' eyes up until this season. And now even some of my colleagues around the box are, are, are have been acknowledging some of the warts defensively as well. So um I, to, I can't answer – I'm not going to answer that question in a yes or no sort of fashion. But, I, you know what, I, I think that his defensive game has holes in it that aren't well talked about and his offensive game hasn't been there to sort of cover them up so far. Excellent. I am going to – I actually screened this next one as you were answering that. This is from Menno Knight as well. I am going to do this Jeopardy style and give you the answer first. I'm going to answer this one and say he doesn't. And the question is, how does Joe Morrow better contribute to winning than Sammy Niku? (laughs) (laughs) So either of you can jump in if you want to try to convince me otherwise. I would say it's extremely unlikely that he does um i again we we know what joe Joe morrow is as a player we're aware of all his flaws and the you know sammy niku is a guy whom the the local media minus you brought and um a lot of fans have kind of said that they the reason he is not a fixture in this lineup at the moment it's because of some defensive shortcomings that he has and while that's true i don't really see how you know those defensive shortcomings are any could be worse than what joe morrow provides right now it, again Going back to Micah's quote in our previous conversation, the last podcast, <laughs> no, you're, you're playing up. who you're playing a player who is bad in lieu of a player who might be bad, but you don't know that. <laughs> Fair play, yeah, and I'm with you there. It's what you create minus what you give up. Whether you create a lot and give up a lot, or create a lot, give up a little, whatever it is, right? And Niku's going to be creating a lot more. Oh, well. I sincerely believe he's Winnipeg's second best passer on left defense here and now already. There's some things that he does that um, I think are going to cover up any of those mistakes. And I, and I do think the next obvious step is for him to get enough minutes to, to develop. And one thing that I, I really believe it's, this is just um, an eye test situation. It's not backed in any, any kind of numbers, but Niku is a guy who tends in his play with the moose more often than not, he has the puck on his stick. And when a player does that, they are not allowing a chance it's against because they have possession and they are driving play. So yes, Niku may be, you know, not really, not really great in his own end at defending without the puck, but you know, Moro doesn't often have control of the puck either. 
So just by being um, being Niku, I think that he might be able to cut down on the amount of um, shot attempts that the Jets give up. Sometimes I forget that you had to watch Joe Morrow because you're a Boston uh... fan. And then I bring <laughs> up the name and I instantly go, oh, shoot, I just said Joe Morrow in front of Katie. I'm triggered. <laughs> we'll move on then. We'll move on. I'm kidding. Um, this is from Mennonite as well. This is his last question. We cut them off at three. Uh, he's, he's asked Murat, Jets seem to improved at five on five lately. Is it something that you've seen that's changed or improved? Uh, I, I sincerely feel like there has been incremental progression and, and, and sort of tightening up as the, as the season has gone along. I wish I could point to one thing and say I've, I've discovered a brilliant insight about it. Um, I just think that they've progressively been playing better. Maybe there's something to that game schedule from earlier on, though I'm not sure about that. Um, I, I think the biggest thing is that they have a lot of distance to go yet. And uh, I think moving from average to good is, is going to be the biggest challenge for them. Uh, and we've talked a lot about maybe some of the, the issues with defense. And like I just think they need to be get, get better at managing the puck Um across their own blue line and in keeping the puck in at the other, uh, the four check hasn't been what it's supposed to be so far. So maybe that's the next step. All right. Great answer. Um, <laughs> uh, I don't know. Sorry, Mennonite. <laughs> <laughs> it's Menno Knight. 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 Mm. <laughs> uh, like, the, like the golden Knights? <laughs> You know, that's how it's spelled. It's yeah, <laughs> like uh, like knife or can is it knife? Yeah, kniffy. Anyways, <laughs> I'm getting way off track here. Uh, second last question. This one comes from our buddy Feci. He asked it right before we hopped on tonight. He said, "If you had to choose between fighting one horse-sized duck or oh. 100 duck-sized horses, which one would you choose and why?" Feces a redditor, I see. <laughs> What's that, sorry? Um, that sounds like a Reddit question to me. I don't think he actually thought that you would ask that. Well, I said I would ask it if he subscribed and listened. We'll move on. <laughs> <laughs> I'm waiting for K- Katie's creativity to just take over and run away with it. Um... Creativity is not my strong suit. Well, we were looking for a, a great Katie quote tonight. That was also was asked that we had another great quote, just like uh, a certain defenseman is great for offense on both sides of the ice. Well, I actually had a question for Marat too, but <laughs> okay, oh. yeah, no, yeah. I actually have your, I actually wrote your questions down to say for you, but that would make more sense for you to say it. So, give her. So, like, if you, if the current version of you, Marat, could go back in time and let the summer version of you know that Ben Sherat has three even strength goals as of the current day, like today, and Patrick Liney has none, what would <laughs> the summer version of Marat's response be to that? And wow. you can use whatever, ty- whatever type of time travel you wish. 
my favorite type of time travel involves a square cardboard box, uh, as per Calvin and Hobbes, with time machine written on it in bad handwriting. So that's how I travel. Mine's a tarp, uh, but whatever floats your boat. What about a tinfoil hat? Are you wearing that? <laughs> Oh, geez, I, I would need to be. So, okay, I've processed a lot of shocking things in my life. Um, one of them was a violent self-induced concussion. Um, another <laughs> was uh, <laughs> one shock. Um, I uh, once hung out with Mila Jovovich for an evening by accident, which I'm, I've mentioned on the show, I think, before. That was another shock. Ben Sherratt outscoring Patrick Laine at 5-on-5. Five five. I don't know I could be. I don't know that I could be prepared for that, honestly. <laughs> I, I, would, I would probably mutter something about small sample sizes and then pour another glass of wine because I spent a lot of time in France this summer. I think that's how I would have dealt with that. Me too. You know what? You you mentioned the concussion, and I kind of laughed at that, but I just kind of realized, you? didn't you have a concussion? That's a real thing. Yeah. Yeah, so I feel bad for laughing now, because you actually, I remember you tweeting about that, and it was uh, it was no bueno. What, I guess we probably don't want to get into that, unless you want to get into that, but I'm just trying to think of what happened with that, how you got a concussion. Um, I will give you the short version, which is if you've ever seen Mario take coins out of a block, I did the same thing except without my fist in the way. Uh, I was running down a, a small, uh, or running up actually a narrow flight of stairs in a really ancient house and there wasn't much clearance and I, I used to run very quickly. So I, I did that. Did you get coins though? <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, what was the question? <laughs> I just asked if you got any coins for your effort. Not so much. Oh, in a long-winded way, you know, I, you know, I, I did a lot of deep self-reflection in the various months that I was completely unproductive and everything made me dizzy and shitty. Oh, there's one swear for the day. Um, like, <laughs> I decided that I wanted to do more writing in my life, and here I am. So, yes, one coin. So that's kind of like your one-up mushroom situation. Nice. Thanks. Now we're PG thirteen. <laughs> oh, I need to give you explicit warning. <laughs> it's all good. Go back to my co- um, what's that? Sorry. Got to go back to my co- dad's vocabulary on this one. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Katie, did you have any more questions? Because I wrote down one of your questions, so if you can't remember. Did I have another question? Yep. Were you maybe just setting yourself up? Like you had a really intelligent idea that you wanted to share, and you were like, "Hey, Katie, answer this." I can't even remember my own questions, Marat. I don't think that's possible. What what did I say, Brian? We we chatted a couple days before this, just throwing around some ideas. And Katie, you said, I'd love to hear a funny story or quote from the scrums for team interactions. Behind the scenes shit is always interesting. (laughs) That's two shits for the episode. Oh, not three, but give her. Just multiply it. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, What can I say of course, don't incriminate yourself. Anything you can share. 
No, there's there's one question that I wanted to ask since summer when I saw him change his number, but uh, the Jack Roslovic becoming number 28 when there was clearly, a, you know, a perceived gap between number 27 Ehlers and number 29 Line. And I finally got him just like me and him and asked him like, hey, man, I got to know, uh, were you making a statement? Because that's exactly how I read it. And he laughed. <laughs> he knew what I meant. Um, and then he said, no, he actually had no idea, you know, a fan was the first one to tell him and all that sort of stuff. So, um, you know, if I was going to get him to expose that truth, uh, it didn't happen that day. Um, but I don't know if I have anything particularly juicy to share with you other, um, you know, I, I was going to say other than that, but I, I'm not sure that, that that's quite it either. I think I was hoping for like a real saucy Paul Maurice quip or something like that, but it's okay. <laughs> Yeah, no, like my... buffling through Lemieux's track suit, suit and shower or something. <laughs> no, uh, you know what? I'll, I'll see what I can do to generate one of those. Although I think asking <laughs> a question about the wrong clip yesterday, if you heard the press conference, you might have heard like a certain confusion in his voice, you know, in terms of needing to explain something to me and then confusion in my response, not knowing what, you know, because we weren't talking about the same thing. So maybe... Maybe deep down, by being wrong, I was able to upset him enough that the next time I fire back at him, you know, uh, he'll 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 say something quotable for all of us to enjoy. Well, or he we'll just talk to you again. <laughs> <laughs> no, he's been nothing but class to me. I must say that I have to give that as well. He's been absolutely uh, terrific to deal with uh, professionally. Excellent. Well, Katie, do you have anything else? Any questions? Not for me. Marat, do you have anything else to add? Um, kind of in terms of questions. So I think that the internet says that um, Katie is a biologist. And Ryan, you said that you're not so much into the fancy stats. But I have this theory that scientists, engineers, programming types are some of the, like, the most natural adopters of these sorts of things. And I'm wondering how that um, how looking at hockey through a sort of numbers lens sort of got into your life, Katie, or didn't get into your life, Ryan? Oh, well, I guess, I mean, I, I actually minored in statistics, but it wasn't, you know, hockey statistics. It was more, um, for example, tracking populations of plant species within a certain area in Manitoba, for example. So th there's no direct correlation there. I've just always been really, really interested in numbers. And I guess it kind of carried over into my enjoyment of watching hockey. Also, let, like uh, Ryan noted earlier in the podcast, I, I am a Boston fan. And um, that, that fan base in general has just been, in, in terms of fan bases, a really early adopter of, of the Fancy Stats movement. So I guess that that's how I initially got introduced into that is just by some people on um, Bruins Twitter that I follow. Super cool. And I'll, I'll keep my answer somewhat short. I work with numbers all day. And so when I get home, I don't care. <laughs> <laughs> but at at the same time, this year I've gotten more into it. I've kind of looked at the chances for, chances against, expected goals, that types of things. I, I just try to stay away from it until I know what I'm talking about. I will peek at it, but I like uh, I like watching it more than I like uh, taking it apart with numbers. So 
Well, those are that's, some really that's... good gateway drugs. Sorry, sorry, what was that? <laughs> no, I just said those are some really good gateway drugs, you know, to yeah. to kind of get into statistics. Yeah, well, I as soon as I started to dabble, I was all in, and then I I might uh, I might start expanding into some more heavier things. Numbers, that is, Dad, if you're listening. <laughs> uh, you've come over to the dark side. Yeah, you guys can teach me the ways. All right, well, Marat, anything else? Um, well, you know what? What you were saying there just made me think of this philosophical thing about how we all process and consume hockey for different... No, I'm good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's enough. Um, <laughs> yeah. No, that's, I think we're going to wrap it up then. Uh, thank you guys both for joining me. We've been doing this for, Katie, 69 minutes. Nice. <laughs> um, I think it's probably time to wrap this up. And uh, again, thank you both for joining me. It was a lot of fun. Murad, I hope you, we can have you back on again. Katie, you as well. It was nice to talk to you both. Um, this is our first time speaking. So it's been a lot of fun and let's keep doing this whole uh, interaction on Twitter thing. Absolutely. All right, guys, you have a good night. You too. Bye. Bye. Bye.